Hello, and welcome to another episode of Our Foundations. My name is Joshua. Today's episode is going to be on the concept of a voluntary government, a government that is actually moral and effective. It is practical and efficient. That is the goal, and I am going to at least produce my theory of what this might conceptually look like and hopefully at least make the case that this is possible. In the most recent previous episodes, I've made a case for the current modern governmental systems being immoral and impractical, inefficient, ineffective, these types of things, and that has been my hypothesis, and I think I've backed that up fairly well, and that has been the case so far. But the obvious next question is, well, what do you do about it? What are the other options? And I think most people in society today feel like they need a government, that government is necessary to run a society and to keep people and businesses in check, that government has a role that cannot be replaced any other way. And so I am going to give that argument the benefit of the doubt and grant them that that is the case, at least for the purposes of today's episode. And so I am going to present at least my theory of what a government would look like if you take the current corrupt structure of what government is now and change that to one that is not corrupt in its very structure. So how would that be structured? And it would be structured very differently, obviously. And so I will present all those things. We'll talk about what that is, what that looks like, what the markets look like, how do you handle conflict, what might be the different branches or areas of influence that this voluntary government would take control of, and how would they control that, and what would that look like. And we'll wrap up with some ideas of how this practically would work and what are some more realistic near-term applications of this stuff and how could this potentially realistically actually come to pass. And so that's what we'll wrap up with. So let me start off with the assumptions that I'm going to make here and what I am basically creating as the foundation for my description of a government that is voluntary and moral and effective. So the goal here by my personal definition is that everything is voluntary and consensual, that everyone has the right to life. There is no force that can be used against a person or their property or their will or actions, and everyone is therefore entitled to the production of their own labor and their own property. And by extension, property rights are a very important aspect of keeping this society a moral one or this government a moral one. And so I'm going to focus on that, as well as the fact that force may only be used to protect people or their property, and to enforce these rights that everyone is entitled to. So that is my assumption, that's my foundation, and I'm going to try to build the structure of a government that actually fits into that. 
And that's my goal. And that is the difference between this conceptual government and what we currently have. I think at least if you've listened to the previous few episodes, you will see that these things don't really exist in our current government, even if it would seem that these goals are currently existing at first glance. But when we really look into it and really assess it, we see that at its core structure, modern governments are not any of this stuff. They do not meet these goals. So let's go ahead and get into what I think would and could actually meet these goals. So overall, I am going to say that this government structure I have created is a voluntary socialist direct democracy with free market capitalism options. So that's a very long description. It's not just a democracy. It's not just a republic. It is a voluntary socialist direct democracy with free market capitalism options. And that is very long and a mouthful. But that is what I've come up with. So let me break that down a little bit and say why I call it that. And um, just in general, give you what the structure looks like. So to begin with, I start off by saying this is a voluntary government. And voluntary is something that is pretty straightforward. I don't need to explain that concept to you. But the idea here in the application here is that individuals can opt out of any or all state programs. And so if somebody does not want to participate or fund a war or the police or insurance, retirement, courts, schools, whatever, if someone doesn't want to participate in the government system in these areas, then they don't have to. It's completely voluntary. They are not forced into it. They are not coerced into it. People have the ability to choose whether they want to be a part of this government and the things that it does or not. And therefore, it is a voluntary government. I call it socialistic, but socialist in the sense that the people, quote, control the means of production, distribution, and law as performed by, quote, the state. And so that is more the class classical definition of socialism. And so in my government structure here, there is direct control by the people over production, distribution, and law. And a lot of that is being done through the state, but done by the people. And the people are the ones that make all these decisions. So in that sense, it is a socialist system. Now, I also said direct democracy. So the deal here is that the people have a direct say in decisions. It's not that they actually elect certain representatives and certain people, and then those people are the ones that make all the decisions. It's that the people have a direct say. And if the people or certain people actually want to have a representative represent them, then they can. But if they want to have a direct say in a law, a regulation, a program, something, then they can and they have that. So again, that's more power to the people per se. And so the final aspect in the title I gave is free market capitalism options. And so this actually loops back around to the very first word, and that is voluntary. And it's the same concept here. And this is the optionality of the voluntary system in that there is an open and free market that people can voluntarily participate in. So we don't only have 
a state-run country where the state controls everything and has a monopoly on the use of force and everything else. In this system, we actually have open free market capitalism where there are private protection agencies. There might be private militias. There would be private courts. There are all kinds of systems and institutions in all these different industries and sectors, and there is an open market for these things. So this aspect of the economy and the society is based on free market capitalism, and there are options for that, but there also is this government as well. And so people have the ability and the right to choose whether they want to participate in the government itself or whether they want to participate in this free and open market, and hence the idea of it being a voluntary option. You can't have a voluntary choice if there is no choice. If all you have is the state, then you do not really have much of a choice. But if you also have free market capitalism and an open market, then there actually is a choice there if people are allowed to take it. And in this system I am creating, people are allowed to take it. So the other advantages here are that this free and open market can work as a pricing and value calculation system. So we've talked about the issues of price calculation in a totally communist or totally socialist society. There are some problems there with how do you calculate prices and values but if we have a free and open market as well in this society, in addition to the voluntary government, then we have a market and a system and a mechanism for determining price and value that is very efficient and effective at doing so. We also have something that will provide for minority desires. It's not just that the majority gets what they want and can use the government to do so. It's that even the smallest minorities so long as their desires can be met profitably and with an efficient use of resources, then those minority desires will be met as well. And so there is much more option here for the individual in this society, for the citizen of this country, because they are not just given whatever the government allows to exist in the market or what the government provides, but rather they are given the option to really do just about anything. And businesses and entrepreneurs are allowed to do just about anything. And so really any demand that can profitably be met within this society likely will be met or will be met soon if it is a new demand. And so those are the advantages here of having this free market capitalism option here. Now, I did mention that this government is totally voluntary and that there are things like private courts, and I mentioned law being in the hands of the people. And so with all these things, you might have thought the question, how is conflict handled in this society? Can't someone just opt out and go around killing everybody and the state can't do anything about it because they're just opting out of the government laws? Well, there are solutions here. So in general, there would be a very basic constitution, I should say. That's the best descriptive word I can think of. But what we think of as the constitution where there is a set, written down group of rules or rights or beliefs that the entire society agrees with. And I use the term entire actually loosely and incorrectly here, but I'll go back and explain that here in just a second. So 
in general, the society will agree to a basic constitution. What this constitution will consist of is mainly just what almost everyone can agree on. So we have things like you cannot murder people, you cannot rape, you cannot commit theft or child abuse or anything like this, and all these things are defined very clearly. It could even be as simple as the NAP, which is the non-aggression principle where you cannot use force upon another person. And so even if the Constitution is that simple, it actually covers a lot more than you would think. Because if you're not allowed to use force on another person, then by extension, you would not be allowed to use force on their property because that is force upon them as well. Their property is just an extension of them. It is something that they have created or they have purchased and therefore is attached to that person. Now, if you're not allowed to use force against a person or their property, then it would stand to reason that a person would be allowed to defend themselves from someone who is using force against them or their property. And so you have all of these, I guess, built-in secondary issues that would actually be covered by a very basic constitution, one that would be one sentence long. So I don't know if that's what it would look like. It might be more laid out and more detailed. But the point here is that there would be a set of rules, a very small constitution that defines the very basic rights that everybody within the society would have and would live by. Now, to go back to my caveat about not using the word entirely uh, very accurately when I described that the entire society would agree to this constitution. So going back to that issue, there would have to be some set-aside areas, some physical locations, physical regions that are completely, basically, anarchist, for lack of a better term. So if anybody does want to be totally outside of this constitution and these rules or laws, then they would have that option to. Again, it's voluntary. The only way for something to be voluntary is if you actually have a choice. So we need to give these people a choice. If there are people that do not even want to agree to the most basic rules or rights, then that is their right because this is a voluntary society. And if they so choose, they can move into one of these regions or areas. Now, this would actually be a physical region. It would have to be large enough to accommodate people surviving in this area. It can't just be a remote section of Alaska that's covered in snow 90% of the year and they can't actually sustain themselves. No, it has to be areas and it would be multiple areas where people can make a living. They can sustain themselves, feed themselves, clothe themselves, this kind of stuff. Somewhere that has natural resources that they can use. And somewhere that ideally would keep them from coming into too much conflict with the rest of society. Now, as soon as one of these people step out of the boundaries of this anarchist zone, then they would be within the rules and the laws of the general society that fall under this constitution that I've talked about. So they do have that option to go somewhere else, but in general, the majority of the country, whatever country it is we're talking about here, would be under this basic constitution. So the obvious question would be, how does this constitution get enforced? How does it get interpreted? How do we deal with this kind of stuff? If there are private courts, won't they just get bought off? 
How does that work? So basically, you would have multiple court systems. The government itself would have a court system, and there would be other private court systems as well. And they would all work together in the sense that although they are competing against each other for people to use them because they need customers in order to pay for their business because it is a business, they are also incentivized to have a stable society, to have people respect the rulings that each court system and each court lays down. So they would be incentivized to work together to probably hold up certain aspects or certain rulings. More than likely, this would look like a common law type situation where over the course of time, cases are heard. And depending on the decisions that are made in each case, that helps interpret what this constitution actually means and interprets how that applies to certain cases, certain situations, certain people, all this kind of stuff, and the courts would likely honor each other's rulings. Now, you would have the option to appeal to a different court system, and that would be good. That would give you some legitimate checks and balances with that competition, but the court systems themselves would be incentivized to not be completely opposite of the other court systems because then you would just have basically a more chaotic society. People would just not honor whatever your court says because they can just go to a different court who will say something totally differently, and that doesn't really work. People would basically stop using the courts because what is the point? Their rulings are not going to be held to. Whereas if the majority of the time all the court systems and all the different courts would honor each other's rulings and respect each other's rulings unless they strongly disagree and have evidence to state that and have strong opinions there that they can back up. If in general they agree with each other, then people will actually use them and trust them and go by them and abide by their rulings and this type of thing. But they also do have that mechanism where someone can appeal to a different court system and if it is a completely valid argument and complaint then that can be overturned by a different court system and there would have to be some sort of mechanism to decide how that gets handled in the enforcement arena, but that could happen. So with a lot of things in a theoretical system, there is really no telling what would actually occur and what the system would truly look like because the markets would find the most efficient and effective way to handle this thing. You have spontaneous order. So I don't know what it would look like exactly, but I do know that systems would develop and there would be a way that all of this would end up working out. And again, I don't know specifically what that would look like, but I can at least lay out what I believe as far as an overall structure, what that could look like. And so that is my idea that this is how it would be handled, would be with this very basic constitution and things being heard out in different court systems and them respecting each other's rulings for the most part. And then there are also the anarchist zones for those that want to totally opt out of the entire system and structured society. So that's roughly what it would look like from a very broad standpoint. Now, what would this look like from a little bit closer view? Well, I've come up with four different 
aspects or sectors that need to be covered by this government. So there needs to be some sort of force branch, we'll call them branches for lack of a better term here. So things like military, police, groups and people and systems that can use force. So that has to exist. There also has to be some sort of decision-making branch and judicial branch. So anything that has to be determined, a decision that has to be made, a conflict that has to be resolved, some someone, some group has to be able to make those decisions and solve those conflicts. So there has to be this kind of judgment branch that exists. There also has to be some sort of business management branch or like a bureaucracy type branch, because there are all kinds of things that just need to occur. There has to be hiring and firing and investments and resource allocation and all this kind of stuff that has to be handled. These are business type activities. So there would have to be some sort of branch that handled that. And then finally, there would have to be a more social safety net branch because that is one of the biggest desires that people have for a government is that they take care of society. They take care of the individuals and citizens within their sphere of influence. And so we would have to have this kind of welfare branch as well. So that's what I've come up with. So to begin with, let's go through each one of these and I'll kind of talk about what I think they would look like in this structure that I have set up. So for a force branch, you would have the need to protect, to defend, and to enforce within their society. So to do this, you have to have a military in a sense, and you would have to have a police force in a sense. And these might not look like the militaries and police forces that we have today, but there would have to be somebody that would fill that role. However, there would be no preemptive action that would be allowed to be taken because that would be the initiation of force upon someone else or some other group, which is against the very basic constitution. So we could not have preemptive strikes against another country or another group of people. That would not be allowed. We would only be able to protect and defend and enforce. So if someone does come against us as a country, then we would be able to defend ourselves. We would be able to attack them in response, and that would be fine. But we would not be allowed to initiate force on another group. Now, there would also be an open market for all of these things. There would be an open market for defense, for example. There would be competing defense agencies that would handle different things. So someone could voluntarily choose not to participate in the government from this perspective and not take advantage of government protection or defense or enforcement, but rather pay for private protection or private enforcement or whatever the case may be, and those would exist. There would be many different options for people that would probably look very different. And so the way I see it would be that more than likely the government would handle the bulk of most of these things. So the demands of the majority would probably be met by the government itself. However, the 
more niche markets and the minorities that still want something, they still have demand in these different areas, well, those would probably be met by private companies. Again, as long as that is a profitable endeavor, there would be entrepreneurs and companies that would spring up and fill this void and meet this demand. That's the way a market works. When there is demand and it can be met profitably, someone steps into make that profit to fill that demand and meet that demand. And so that's likely what would happen here. So more than likely, the country would have a decent size defense system and military and police force that would handle most things, at least for everyone that has opted into this system. But then there would also be private detection agencies, private arbitration courts or total court systems, private police forces for different geographic areas, and many other options there. So people could go for the government option or they could go for these private options. But overall, these would all only be funded by customers, I should say. So people that are willing to pay for it. And this would be true of the government, just like it would be true of these private options. So in order to participate in the government, say, force branch, then people would have to pay a certain amount in taxes for this thing. Or maybe it would just be a subscription model or who knows what that would look like. But we'll use taxes because that's what most governments use nowadays. But this would be a voluntary tax. So if you want to participate, you want to take advantage of these aspects that the government can give you, protection, defense, enforcement, then you pay a certain amount in, let's say, taxes, whether that be monthly, yearly, however they set that up. And this may be something that you pay a flat fee for or a percentage of your income, like an income tax, or who knows what, a sales tax. There are many different types of taxes and types of payment systems that exist. And again, I don't know what that would look like. But I do know that if it's voluntary, then the government will not forcefully take your money to fund this thing. And therefore, the only actions and the only major projects that would exist would be ones that would actually meet the demand in the marketplace. So the government wouldn't just come up with this idea of, hey, we need to go invade Iraq for whatever reason, whether it be oil or power or influence, or you want to support one religious side, the Shiites over the Sunnis or vice versa, whatever. And we have had those issues occur with modern governments. That would not be able to exist here because if the people of the country do not agree with that decision, or even if they agree with it, but they are not willing to fund it, it is not important enough to them for them to fund this endeavor and this war, then they would not participate. Even if it was a just war, even if there was an aggressor, let's say that Iraq attacks America, and they actually physically land on the coast of Florida and take over a city, and then we defeat them and we drive them back off of our shores. And so we have at least de defeated this small invasion that came onto Florida of Iraqis. And so after this has occurred, we would legitimately be able to probably pursue whatever ships had come over here or planes or whatever forces they had sent to the American shores, we would be able to pursue them according to our constitution because we are not initiating force. They initiated force, we defended ourselves, and we can enforce our actions and our constitutions and our rights. 
we would have the right to do so, or this government would have the right to do so. However, if the people of this government or this country, America in this example, did not want to fund the cost of going after these last remaining Iraqi ships that are sailing back to Iraq, then it wouldn't happen. So it might be that the people are happy with the fact that we defended our shores and fought off these invaders, and now we just want to sit back and increase our defenses so that we are not as vulnerable next time. And maybe people don't want to actually fund us going after these ships that maybe the citizenry feel are pretty insignificant and not a threat anymore. Whereas in the modern model, where government forcefully takes tax money and is incentivized to spend it on many different defense, they say, quote, defense, at least, many different defense projects and endeavors and operations, that is how it exists today, where they are incentivized to participate in this. They would be incentivized to follow these ships and to take them out and to make the citizenry feel better and probably actually start a war with Iraq over this. And that's more likely what would happen in today's society. However, in a voluntary society, this would only happen if the people are willing to fund it and to participate in these actions. And maybe they would be. That is very possible. But if they are not willing to participate, then it would not exist. Now, what about that minority? Maybe the majority of people do not want to spend the money to go after them for what they feel is retribution and revenge. But maybe there is a minority that does want to do it. It's worth it to them and they will pay for it. Well, again, they would actually have the option of hiring some private defense agency or private militia or something, and they could fund that endeavor, that operation to go after these ships and take them out. They could even fund a war if it is in response to an attack. That would be possible in this system. Again, it's voluntary and there is competition here. So it's not just the government that would have the ability to defend our shores and repel invaders and go after them after they attack us. That would also be an option for private contractors and businesses and other agencies. That would be possible if people are willing to pay for it. Again, people cannot have their money forcefully taken from them in like the modern tax system, and then that fund an operation of war. In this society, it would have to be voluntarily funded by the people. And so somebody would have to put up the money, they would pay, and this course of action, this operation might actually happen, even if it's only a minority of the society. Maybe it's just the people in Florida that got really scared and they want to make sure that these ships do not come back and that they send a message, you will not come attack Florida again. But maybe the people up in Washington state don't really feel very threatened. Maybe they don't really care. And so maybe they're not willing to fund it, just like the people in maybe Alaska and in Maine and all over the place in the American country that do not feel as threatened as Florida does because Florida was actually attacked and they feel threatened. So maybe the Floridians would get together and hire a certain group, a militia, a defense agency, whatever, and enforce their constitutional right of defense and enforcement, and they could do that. So that is an option. Now, with this dynamic of wars and forceful operations only being voluntary and voluntarily funded, 
there would necessarily be a lot less of them. This would not happen nearly as much as it does today. So you may also ask, well, what if a private agency is hired to initiate force on someone else? Well, that would be breaking the basic constitution of this society, and that defense agency that was hired could be brought to court, and they could be possibly sued, possibly given penalties, possibly punished, or whatever the courts would decide. And again, this is a competitive market. So there's not just one defense agency. It's not like they could actually just totally revolt and say, hey, we are not participating in this. We're going to start whatever war we want. There's nothing you can do about it. Well, no, if there are thousands of different companies that deal in defense and enforcement and protection, plus you have the government as well, that participates in all these areas as well, then there is something that keeps these private agencies in check and private individuals or funds or groups from starting their own private wars against the constitution of the society. The constitution can be upheld by all of these different powers because it's in everybody's best interests and they are incentivized to make sure that the constitution is enforced so that you have a stable society, a stable marketplace, so that people actually will be willing to buy your services. If people don't feel like your services are reliable, or they don't feel like people will uphold the Constitution no matter how much they pay you, then they're probably not going to give you their money. They'll probably just try to take it into their own hands, and this would be bad for business. You probably wouldn't exist as a business if that were the case. So all these different groups and companies and the government would all be incentivized to work together to uphold this Constitution. Now, back to what I was saying before, if all these things, all these aspects of force are voluntary, then there would not be as many military endeavors. There would not be very many operations or wars or anything like this. Now, this may exist, and I'm sure it would, but it would be much more limited than it is today. With this, the effect of that would be that there would be a lot less money being spent on the offensive actions. So instead of offense, we would play defense. And so a lot of those funds and resources that would have gone towards offensive actions would go towards defenses in general. So you might have anti-missile batteries that would be set up or planes with lasers on them that would take out any missiles that came into the area. That actually does exist. That's not sci-fi. They've had those things for decades. But there are many different options that could be funded, probably would be funded, and the money would probably flow into defense over offense. That would just make sense. Now, in addition to this, we would not have nearly as big of a deal with blowback. So what I mean by blowback is that if we attack another nation or a people group or fight against them in any way, then more than likely, they're not going to be very happy with us. And what are they going to do? Well, they're probably going to do the same thing we would do to them. They're going to want revenge. They're going to want retribution. They've been attacked. Somebody has tried to take over their territory. They will probably fight against whoever that somebody is. And so if we, and let's say America again in our example here, if America is not starting wars with other countries and they are not sending soldiers to fight for other dictators or other realms or other territories, then 
we would not make a whole lot of enemies because we are not fighting against a whole lot of people. And so if you're not fighting against people, you're not creating enemies, then there's probably not going to be as much of a threat of attack from other people and other sources because you are not creating any incentive for people to attack you. Now, there still are bad people in the world. There probably still would be a risk of attack. This probably would exist. Again, there probably would be wars of different types that could still go on. But this stuff would happen a lot less under this structure that I have set up. There have actually been times in history where this was the case, where a local lord or duke would actually have to go around his territory and his region and collect money in order to hire mercenaries or hire soldiers and fight against a competitive duke or lord or whatever the title may be. And they actually would have to fund that through taxing the people directly for that war. So they would have to go around and say, we want to fight this war, you need to pay for it. And sometimes they would force them to pay for it. But there are times when a group, a citizenry, a region were not willing to fund it. And so the leader, the duke, you know, whatever you want to call it, depending on the time period you're talking about, they may not be able to go to war like they wanted. They may not be able to invade their rivals next door because their people would not pay for it. That did happen historically. So we have seen aspects of these things in history, but that is definitely not the way things exist today. So let's move on to the next branch. That would be the judgment branch. So this would be things like courts. The role of a court system would be to interpret rights. So again, we have this basic constitution, but that needs to be interpreted for specific examples and specific actions that take place within this society. People are going to have conflict. People are going to have a difference of opinion. And if it is something that is a big enough deal to go to court over, there needs to be a court to make a decision on this. And it needs to be respectable and effective at its job. So the other aspect of this is they need to determine reparations. So much like modern court systems today, it's not just whether the defendant is guilty or not guilty. It's also what is the punishment against that person. Now, in this society, more than likely, it would be more of a reparations type system than a punishment type system, because really having jails and putting someone in jail for a long period of time and paying for them to stay alive while they're in jail, that's just not a very smart system. It doesn't really make a whole lot of sense when you really get down into it, and I'm not going to get down into it in this episode. But there would probably be more of a focus on reparations, where if someone attacked somebody else and maybe that other person had to go to the hospital and they were in the hospital for five days and had to have a surgery over it and this kind of stuff. Well, the assailant would probably be forced to pay the medical bills and pay for any other expenses like time off of work and pain and suffering, all kinds of things like this. And that could be enforced according to the Constitution. So even though someone is not allowed to initiate force on another person, we all have the right to life and the right to protect our lives. And if that right is infringed, then enforcement is constitutionally allowed in order to basically make up for that. Now, revenge would probably not be allowed under this basic constitution. Now, maybe it would be. Maybe 
courts would determine that there is a certain level of revenge that could legally take place. I don't know. I don't live in this society. It doesn't exist. But theoretically, more than likely, you would probably have strictly reparations and things attached to that and small extensions of reparations that would exist as the more punishment that we think of today. It would not be a punishment-based society, but more than likely a reparations-based society. So that's roughly how the court systems would work. And again, you would have a government court system that would handle the majority of cases, but you would probably have smaller court systems that would handle more niche markets again. So if somebody wants more of an arbitration case, they don't want to actually pay and be involved with a big, long, drawn-out court case in the official system. Maybe they'll go to a private arbitration court that specializes in coming up with deals and resolving conflicts that both parties will agree with and that is a lot cheaper to take care of. There might also be court systems that specialize in murder cases or in other areas of law or other areas of crime that maybe a specific court system does very well at. Maybe they have special investigators or maybe they have specially educated judges or juries or whatever. And so there might be incentives to go to a different type of court system. But more than likely, the government court system would handle the majority of things. But again, with this being voluntary, people would, number one, have the option to go to someone else. But number two, the government court system would actually have to provide effective and efficient solutions for the market. And so they would actually have to earn a profit or at least break even because they have to pay for what they do and everything's voluntary. So instead of being able to take money from the people within that society, they would have to be paid. And in order for someone to go to them and pay them, they actually have to provide something that's worth payment. And so this would be a very good check and something that would incentivize the government court system to actually perform in a way that we would feel is effective and that meets the demand of the people in society that demand for law and justice and a virtuous group that decides these things. So that would have to be met because this government court system would have to be funded, and that's the only way to do so. So the other aspect here is that there might be disputes within or between different groups in the government, and that has to be handled somehow. So let's say that the force branch has a problem with the judgment branch, and so there is a court system and there was a ruling within this government court system that is against maybe the military. Maybe the military had some action that they participated in, and then the court system told them that that was illegal and they have to pay reparations for what they've done. And that is the situation. Well, maybe the force branch disagrees. Well, what's going to happen? If all it was was a government system then probably nothing would happen and it wouldn't really matter because the judgment branch doesn't have any leverage against the force branch to any great degree at least. But in our system here, there would actually be other court systems and competing court systems that the force branch could appeal to and they could go to somebody else and have their case heard by another group. 
And so that would be a possibility, which, number one, incentivizes the government court system to make a very good and solid and logically based decision. But also, it gives that ability to appeal and appeal to another more neutral party. So again, even though the general concept of having competing court systems and different types of courts and different types of judiciary proceedings, even though that may seem kind of weird or impossible or idealistic or whatever, I think I've shown that at least in theory, this actually could work very well and it could work a lot better than our current systems. And there actually is an incentive for these different groups to handle justice in a way that I think most of society would be pleased with. And if they weren't, they could go to a different group that actually is providing justice for them, and the government would just be basically defunded and pretty much kicked out of the judgment sector. And so, again, this incentivizes them to make sure that they are providing justice so that they are not defunded so that they can actually exist. So that's my rough system here for the judgment branch. Now, getting on to the business branch, you would have to have some group that would run the efforts of the government as a whole. You have to have organization. You have to take advantage of efficiencies and make decisions on that. There have to be trade contracts. You need to hire and fire employees. There's accounting that you have to keep up with. There's marketing or propaganda, depending on how you look at it. There is the allocation of resources. All of these things have to occur with any large structure, any large organization. They need all these things to happen. Well, who's going to do it? Well, somebody has to. So I'm calling that the business branch. And this business branch would actually be the only branch within this voluntary government that does not have competition because there is no direct competition to it. It's basically just everything behind the scenes of the force branch, the judgment branch, and the welfare branch. And so that is what this branch would do. It would make all these decisions. It would manage things and run them behind the scenes and handle things like administrative tasks and would likely have some sort of oversight committee made up of representatives from all the other branches, some from the force branch, some from the judgment branch, some from the welfare branch, because all of the branches of this voluntary government would be incentivized to run efficiently and effectively so that they can survive in the market because there actually is a competitive market. And so they want to make sure that basically everything the business branch does is going to be within their best interests. And they want to make sure that the business branch handles things effectively and efficiently. So more than likely, they're going to have some sort of oversight, and that will, in a sense, provide the competition. So whoever works for this business branch in these different areas, they would be subject to some sort of oversight from all these other branches. So if they're not doing their job well, if they're wasting a lot of money, if they're not being very efficient, if they are not actually being effective with what the goals are for their department then they might actually get replaced. And these other branches would probably make sure that they get fired, that they get replaced, that they 
get moved, whatever the case may be. So every individual that works for the business branch would be competing for their job like we do in today's market in any private organization or corporation. If we don't do our job well and we fail at the goals that the company has given us to accomplish, then we probably will lose our job or we'll be given less responsibilities. We are going to be in competition with other employees that are around us, people that want to move up within the company, plus outsiders, because we could get fired. We could get replaced if there are better options out there and if it's worth it for the company. And it would be the same thing here. The business branch would be accountable to all these other branches. So even though there's not a private competition per se, like there is in these other branches, there is competition within this group and there are incentives and a an inherent incentive structure at its core to operate efficiently and effectively. And that's what we're going for here. And again, all this is being done in a voluntary manner and in an open market. So with it being voluntary, resources are limited and every one of these branches is incentivized to use them wisely. And with there being competition, all of the other private companies in all these different sectors and industries are going to have their own HR firms and marketing groups and departments and management structures and all these things. So every one of the private businesses and private corporations that exist in the market are going to have all these same things that the business branch does. It's just all going to be wrapped up into one company and that's it. And so with these different branches of this voluntary government, that aspect would probably be broken off into a separate branch more than likely, that's probably what it would look like. But again, they are still competing with all these private competitors. It's just competing in a different way on a different level. And it looks a little different here because all of these branches have to operate efficiently and effectively in order to compete. And so the business branch is subject to that and incentivized to work within those goals and incentive structures. The final branch that I mentioned was the welfare branch. So this would handle things like basic insurance services and medical and social security or retirement. There would be a system to help the poor and be some sort of social safety net in general. So I think you can probably understand and probably see how most of society, let's just say the majority of the population of a country, will probably want the government to handle some of this stuff. They might want to have some sort of retirement as a guarantee. They might want a guarantee of health insurance and medical care. They might want to support having a guarantee for everyone to be able to survive in this society, which would be more of the welfare system. They want, might want insurance against something going wrong that's out of their control. Maybe they get disabled. They want to still be able to live. They still want to be able to buy food and have housing. Well, this government branch would handle all of those things. And these are things that people would more than likely be willing to pay for because they desire them. There is a demand for all this stuff. Now, with this being a voluntary system and people having to pay for it, there would probably be a lot less of a welfare state than exists in any modern government because basically people would not be as interested in paying for that. But there probably would be some sort of basic level of a social safety net 
because people want to make sure that they have a social safety net in case something goes wrong with them or for when they get older or for their children or whatever the case may be. Everybody has different motivations, but there is a demand for this stuff. Now, again, there would be competing insurance agencies and competing investment firms and charities and all different kinds of companies and groups that would be competing in these sectors and industries that this welfare branch is existing in and in these areas that it's handling, but they would probably be a little more niche. There probably wouldn't be a single company that handles all of these things in one, kind of like the government does, where they handle insurance, medical, retirement, social safety net, all these things all in one. The companies, the private companies that would be competing would probably just specialize in certain areas. So you might have some insurance agencies that specialize in probably certain types of insurance, and they would actually probably play a very big role. We'll talk about that a lot when I get into anarcho-capitalism and that theoretical setup. So there are insurance companies, there are investment firms that might specialize in retirement. And so instead of you paying a certain amount to the government and the government guaranteeing you a pension or social security or whatever the case may be, maybe you'll go to a private company that specializes in retirement. And maybe there's one that specializes in something that you feel would be best for your certain situation and your life and your job and your family, whatever the case may be, maybe you don't feel like the general government option is one that would be best suited for you and you might go to a private option. Well, this would exist for all these different areas and all these different things. So the government welfare branch would definitely be incentivized to offer services and meet demand in a way that is effective and that is efficient and that is at a price that people are willing to pay for. And that's more than likely what they would do. Now, with this government welfare branch being more than likely the default option for most citizens in this country, then they probably have a lot of sway and a lot of pull when it comes to the industries they are associated with. So if they are guaranteeing retirement, then they might have a lot of say with different stock companies and stock indices and things like this because they might use them to invest the funds that they are investing for other people's retirements and social securities. They might also have a lot of influence with different hospital groups and doctors and things like this because the government branch is going to be providing certain levels of healthcare and healthcare services. And so they'll have some pull in those industries as well. And the same goes for any other welfare aspect that they participate in. So with this, they're going to be able to influence standards and regulation in this market, but they're going to do it through partnerships and through contracts and through voluntary agreements. They are not going to be able to mandate some regulation that every single company in the entire country is going to have to follow. No, every company is going to be subject to the basic constitution and that's it. Other than that, it's free and open market. But the government does have a lot of pull. They're going to have a lot of money flowing in, and they're going to be paying for a lot of services in many of these industries. And so they will have a lot of say, and they might say that we are not going to give money to a doctor if that doctor operates in this certain way, or if that doctor does not have a certain type of certification, or whatever the case may be. And through these contracts and partnerships and demands, they will influence these industries and they 
they will set regulation to some degree, and this will be done through a market-based system, not through a use of force. In the current system, you have lobbyists that generally are asked by government officials about their industry, and since they are the experts, they are the ones that are making most of the decisions when it comes to regulation. Now, do you really want the pharmaceutical lobby who is being paid and who works for pharmaceutical companies, do you really want those to be the people who are deciding regulation on pharmaceutical companies and the pharmaceutical industry? Well, no, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. The incentives there are all screwed up, and we've talked about examples for that and with that. But in this system, you don't have that. Instead, you have a market and you have different parties involved that have different amounts of influence and sway. And with this, they influence regulations and standards and can probably set a lot of regulations and standards through these voluntary means. And so that's good. That's what we're going for here. Now, I want to mention a few things that are more practical aspects of this system that I have laid out here. So one of the questions may be, well, how do individuals and citizens actually have a say in this voluntary government? Is there some sort of voting system? I thought you said that this is not a democracy and it's not majority rules. How does this work? Well, there might be voting and there might not be. That is a question. So it might be that people vote at a ballot and they might cast their vote and cast their opinions and then the government provides whatever people vote for. And if there are voters who want something that the government is not going to be able to profitably provide because they are a very small minority, then those people can go to a different group. They can go to one of these private competitors and get whatever it is that they are wanting. And so they have that option. They're not just forced to accept whatever the majority wants. But there could be a system of voting. This could very well exist, and it could be implemented, and it would not be an infringement on this basic constitution because everyone always has the option to opt out and go with another choice. So that's a possibility. But the other possibility, and what might be a little more likely, would be that people are voting as customers with their money. And so what they do is they pay for the services that they want, like we've talked about. But with that, then the government operates more like a business. And they have to because everything's voluntary. So they have to make a profit. Or if not a profit, they have to at least break even. Well, how do you do that? Well, you have to operate as an efficient business, you have to be organized, you have to be efficient, and that's just the way you have to operate or else you won't exist. You'll go out of business. You won't have the funds to provide what it is that you are trying to provide. So they are going to be incentivized to meet the demand in the marketplace of the majority, and maybe they know what that demand is and what the majority wants based on what people are willing to pay for, and that would make perfect sense if they offer different insurance plans and 80% of the people choose one plan and only 5% choose a few of the other options that they have listed, well, then they know that that one plan that 80% of the people are paying for is where the demand is. That's what people want. And so it might make sense for them to put all of their efforts and resources into this one plan and cancel out the other ones. And that might be the way they operate. 
and people that wanted those other plans, they could go for one of these other competitive groups and get their demands met from somebody else and not from this government. That's an option. Or maybe they would just take the top few picks that people are paying for, and that's what they would offer in the future. So maybe they offer 10 different insurance plans, and everybody, all the citizens, they sign up for whatever insurance plan they want, and maybe it's a one-year contract that the government gives these people for this insurance plan. Well, maybe when that year is up, they might have a few plans that only have a couple of people apiece in them, and they might cancel those plans. And so there's nothing wrong with this. They only had a one-year contract, and they may cancel these plans, and then those people can either opt into one of the other more popular plans or go to a private business and find a plan that better fits their needs there. And so that's an option. But this is a mechanism that basically is voting. It is people telling the government what they want, but they're not doing it by actually voting. They're doing it by making their own decisions and their own choices and spending their own money. And based on this, the government responds with what they should provide. So that's a possibility. Maybe that's the way it would look. I don't know. Again, it might be voting. It might be voting with your dollar. But either way, the government does have mechanisms for figuring out what society as a majority wants, and they can provide that. One of the big objections would be that competition may not be strong enough to restrain the government if it wants to expand and use force. Or maybe the opposite. Maybe the government won't be strong enough to restrain all these private companies if they all band together and try to take out the government with the use of force. And although that is a legitimate concern, and that theoretically could happen, it's very, very unlikely, because you have competing firms in a marketplace that would likely band together to stop a certain for firm from trying to take over, or to stop the government from trying to take over. You have enough players in a marketplace that are incentivized to have a stable marketplace and a stable society so that they can get more customers and make a profit and survive as a company. And so with this incentive model, they would actually be incentivized to partner up together to make alliances and to stop anyone that is infringing on this basic constitution. So that's the likely incentive. Now, it's possible that that wouldn't play out. Maybe something bad would happen. It's like when the United States were founded. The states themselves were supposed to keep the government, the federal government, in check. That was one of their roles. So there were supposed to be state militias that would be about the same size as the federal militia or military. And so what would happen would be if the federal government was overstepping its bounds, then the states would be able to go against them. And they could go against the federal government, and the federal government didn't like it. Well, they couldn't do much about it because the states could actually defend themselves with their own militias. Now, again, that's not the way it actually played out. So theory is one thing, practice is another, and we don't know. We're talking about future possibilities in a theoretical way, so there is only so much we can do. Now, with this voluntary, more business model of a government, the government would essentially be a large business with profits, and they would have these competitive incentives, they would have competitive checks, they would have a market pricing system that would be in effect where they can determine the value of different services and products and the profit and loss incentives here. So all of this would exist. 
And they would have the ability to offer their products and services in many different ways. There's no telling exactly what way they would choose, but they could offer everything as a bundle. So either you participate in the government and get all of the benefits of the force branch, the judgment branch, and the welfare branch all ran by the business branch. And so maybe you opt into the system as a whole, or you don't. And that might be the way they offer it. I think it would be more likely according to different packages. And so they might have a package that includes, we should say, the basics. And so maybe you get some sort of very basic insurance coverage and very basic like pension plan or retirement plan, and you get access to the basic level of the court system, and you have some sort of basic defense and policing that you have access to, and that kind of stuff. So you basically get the bare bones plan. It's the cheapest one, but you do have access to all of these essentials, and the government provides it for you. And then maybe you have an all-in plan where you get absolutely everything that they provide and that they offer, And maybe that's a plan that you can buy into as well. And maybe they may group some different things together. And so maybe you might have a judgment branch plan where you can participate in the government court system and have a certain amount of cases heard or defense that's offered by the government or whatever the case may be for a nominal fee. Or maybe they might have a force branch package where one might be just policing, for example, and one might actually include defense and military action, and one might be more protection-oriented. And so they could offer different packages in many different ways. Again, there's competition, and so other companies could do this as well, but the government under this structure would likely be the biggest player, and they would likely be supplying the majority with the services that they desire. And so they would have a lot of resources and they would have a lot of services that they offer. And so they would have a lot more options as to what bundles to offer to different people and what services that they could package together. And so that would be an advantage of this government over their competition. And that's probably why they would be the ones who would be more of the default player for any of these given marketplaces, because they do have this advantage. They have the economies of scale, and they are actually incentivized to take advantage of that. And these other businesses just probably can't compete on that level, at least for offering the demands of the masses as a whole. Now, likewise, the government probably couldn't compete in niche markets, but the private businesses could thrive in these different niche markets and providing to the minority. So that's probably what it would look like. That would be my guess. But there are many different options here. Now, the other thing I did want to wrap up with is what some realistic near-term applications may be or how this might actually come into effect. Well, One of the probably most obvious ones, at least in my mind, the first I came up with, was that you pay for what you use. So even in our current modern governments, they could make it optional to pay for what you want. So instead of having these mandatory plans, so let's say that you live in a country that has mandatory medical coverage of a certain amount, so you have to have some medical insurance plan. Well, maybe you don't want to participate in this government medical insurance plan, and you would rather fund that on your own. 
and that's something you want to handle on your own. Well, it does seem very possible and very realistic that even in today's world, a government could say, hey, that's your choice. If you want to participate in these standards that we have set and these services we provide, then here they are. But if you don't, you don't have to. So things like social security, for example, what if you don't want to have a certain amount taken out of your paycheck every month for social security, and then the government provide you with that basically pension or retirement plan when you retire and hit a certain age? What if you don't want to participate in that? What if you want to take funds yourself and invest them yourself and do it a different way? Well, the government could just make that optional. So instead of those funds automatically coming out of your paycheck, they don't. But the catch there is that the government does not provide you with Social Security. So if you hit that certain age or you can't work and you have not paid into the system, then you are just out of luck. And yeah, sucks to be you. You might have made a bad choice. Hopefully you made a wise choice and you invested that yourself and you did something good with it. But you might not have. So that would be your choice. You can opt in. You can opt out. The same would be true of pretty much every aspect of government. Now, this does seem possible, even in today's world, and it doesn't seem too far-fetched. I cannot see this, though, for certain areas like actual defense and having a military or roads or police or courts or anything like this. These are things that are staples in today's modern governments. And as long as our modern governments exist, these things will probably exist and you will not have an option there. But there are things that I could see easily as being optional. So things like schools or outside wars that are not a matter of defense. Actually, I don't see those being very realistic, but Ideally and theoretically, it should be realistic, even though it's not really in our society, but it should be. So we should have an option for war, and that should be a realistic thing. Social security actually is a realistic thing. Insurance, that is actually occurring in many countries. And so there are aspects that could be optional, and it's fairly realistic for a country to offer that. So for example, schools is a good one. So if I don't send my child to public school then maybe I would be able to opt out of paying for public schools. And that makes sense from a common sense standpoint. I get the implication of that and what that would do to the current system. But theoretically, I could see that that would be a realistic option, even in today's world, to move towards these optional things. So that's one step that would move us more toward a voluntary government like the one I described. Now, another application would be the institution of a liquid democracy. So the idea behind a liquid democracy is that it allows votes to be allocated. And in the format that I'm thinking, it is a direct democracy format. So you have a say-so as a citizen in all of the aspects of your government and the decisions your government makes, at least on a very broad level or a higher level. And so with this, you can vote on things directly. So maybe a bill goes through Congress if you're in America, and maybe you as a citizen would actually be able to vote on that bill. Now, in a liquid democracy, you have your vote, but you can allocate your vote somewhere else. So maybe you really like a certain person and it's a politician, you know, they are very good on certain areas. And maybe this is a bill that involves the school system. And maybe this person that you know, this politician is someone that has values that correspond with your values and beliefs that correspond with your beliefs. And you think that they generally 
have an opinion that matches your own, but they're much more informed on the issue than you are, and so you allocate your vote to that person. So it's like a representative government, like many governments in modern society are. However, you also have the option to use that vote yourself. You can allocate that vote also however you want. So maybe you give it to this representative, this politician, for this one single vote. Or maybe you give it to them indefinitely. And so you let them take your vote and use your voting power, the value of your vote, for all decisions that come up. But maybe there's this one decision coming up that's very controversial and you disagree with the person you've given all your votes to. Well, you can just take your vote for that one issue and cast it yourself instead of allocating it to that person. Or maybe that person has had a change of heart. Maybe they change religions and it's something that you're totally against. Well, then you withdraw all of your votes from that person and you can use them yourself or allocate them to someone else. So this is something that's very possible. It is similar to democratic and representative governments that we have today, but it's something that takes it to the next level and gives more control and more options to the individual citizens. So it is a step towards a voluntary government. You are participating directly, and you actually have a say-so in this stuff. And you are also helping create an incentive structure for representatives. So some people would actually become representatives in a rough sense like they are today. So if a certain politician gathers 10 million votes from different people that allocate them to that person, then they would have a lot of sway and they would basically be a representative. They would be a representative of those 10 million people and would hold a place very similar to what congressmen or senators or people of this nature, these types of politicians have today. And so it could look similar to what we have today. It is possible. And with technology nowadays, especially with blockchain, this is a possible solution. It's it's not impossible for a platform to be created where people can actually see what the bills are that are going to be voted on. They can see summaries of this. They can see different people and what their views are and opinions are and ways to allocate your votes or use your votes or vote in general. This is very possible. It's very doable with today's technology. And so that's another thing that could be a step towards a voluntary government, having a liquid democracy. It doesn't exist today. There are some blockchain um, companies and projects that are implementing this, and I'll get to some of those in our next series on blockchain and cryptocurrency. But within modern governments, this does not exist at all. It is actually a threat to modern governments. So is it realistic? Maybe not, but I can actually see that. It could be implemented even within our current governmental system. So I'll give that as another application that could realistically actually occur. The last one I'll give would be a return to a republic in the classical sense. So most regions, such as Europe, such as America, they did exist as a republic at some point in history. So again, I'll use America. That is my staple example here. So when the United States was first created, it was a republic of different United States, all with their own sovereignty. They were all independent countries, in a sense, with basically an agreement of alliance. And that was the Articles of Confederation. So that's the way it was originally set up, was as a republic. And each state could make their own decisions. They had their own sovereignty. They could make their own laws. They had their own militaries and militias. All of this kind of stuff. And with this, you do have a lot more 
say as a citizen and you have a lot more options as a citizen. If you don't like the way California is being run, then you can move to Washington or you can move to Tennessee or you can move to Florida, whatever the case may be. You can move to a place, a region, a state that fits what you want. And so it can meet your demand. And if we use America as the example, let's say that in this plan, there are 50 states to make it even. Well, then there are 50 different sets of laws and regulations that you can choose from. And so there might be a basic constitution. Now, probably not as basic as the one I laid forth in a voluntary government, but something much more similar to the Articles of Confederation, probably a step beyond that, probably in between that and the current constitution. And so with this, there is a lot more wiggle room here for your own personal desires and choices. There are many different regional differences that would come into play. I would imagine that California as a state would be much more like a democratic socialist state. And I would imagine that somewhere like Alabama would be something that would be ran in a much more conservative manner. And the laws and regulations would reflect that. And so as a citizen of these United States, these independent United States, I would have a lot more options. It would look a lot more voluntary under this type of system. Now, there still might be a federal government, in a sense, that every state sends representative to and allocates some of their military personnel to or judges or whatever. That might still exist or it might not. I don't know. If we are talking about more realistic examples that could occur, then yes, that still exists. You have a federal government in the United States of America, but all the states have much more sovereignty and much more room to do what they want in a system that is a more pure republic, like what the United States was originally intended to be. And so that's the last example I have of possible realistic applications for today's modern governments. Now, I know realistic is an arbitrary term and a very relative term. So they're realistic in the sense that they could occur and they could occur within the modern system. We have the technology for it. It would fit within the structures of our systems with some small changes. And society, I think, would not have any huge major objections to these things. So by those definitions, it is realistic. It's possible. But I do not see us getting to the voluntary government that I presented anytime soon or ever. But I believe I have at least presented an example of a voluntary government, a way that we could have government. We could have a government over a country or over a society that actually is moral, that actually is efficient, that does have incentives in place that incentivize it to perform the way it's supposed to perform efficiently and effectively. And I think I've shown that that is possible. Now, if you want some further reading on these types of ideas, then I would recommend Anarchy, State, and Utopia by Robert Nozick. And it's one that is more philosophical, but he does cover a similar idea. His premise is that even if you had society in a state of anarchy, and not a state of chaos, but in a state of anarchy in the sense that there are no rulers, you have a stateless society, he hypothesizes that you would still have a minimal state that would develop and that would exist, and that would be a natural evolution of a pure anarchist society. So by his definition, there would be certain protection agencies that would 
be competing throughout society. There would be one that would gain dominance in certain regions. And because they have dominance and they're the dominant player, then people would go to them for their services instead of the smaller defense agencies because the people wouldn't feel as secure with the smaller agencies. They would feel like the bigger agency in the area would just dominate over this smaller one. So why would I pay for this smaller one if the other ones might walk all over me and may not respect what my agency says. And so people would flock to the larger institution, and that would then make that institution even larger, and it would expand its role of influence and its market into other regions. And basically, eventually, you end up developing a state, in a sense, and that's what would naturally occur, according to this modern philosopher. And it's interesting how he lays out his argument. I disagree with some of it. And uh, I do not agree with his conclusion, but it's still a very interesting book, brings out a lot of interesting thoughts. It's very in-depth and it is very intellectual, I should say. It gets you thinking. You'll have to ponder a lot of those concepts, but it's, it's a good read and it fits in with this type of discussion. So I've gotten some ideas from it and some of the objections from there. And so that's just another resource. And I have recently updated the resource page on the website. So if you go there, I have added some books, I've added some podcasts, I've rearranged things a little bit. So if you haven't been there recently, you can go there and see different recommendations that I have and resources that I use for this podcast and for my own education. So I would encourage you to go to the website and check that out. In addition to that, I encourage you to leave a rating for this podcast. And if you are willing to leave a review, that is very helpful. And I would greatly appreciate it if you would do so. I also encourage you to follow me on Twitter. And that link is in the show notes. And you can find some fun anti-government themed memes. Usually that is the majority of what I post there, plus some quotes and things that relate to the types of things I talk about in this podcast. I also encourage you to send me an email. Give me some feedback. It is helpful to hear from you and to hear what you like, what you don't like, what you're looking forward to, what you want me to cover, don't want me to cover, that kind of stuff. It is very helpful. I like getting that feedback because it enables me to make the show better, to make the content I provide something that matches to what you want even more. And that's my goal here. So it's hard for me to meet that goal, though, if I don't know what you want. So please send me an email. Give me some feedback. Give me your desires, your demands, and I will see if I can meet them. In a similar vein, I have received multiple requests for t-shirts. So I did the t-shirt giveaway a while ago, earlier in the podcast, at the beginning of the podcast, kind of as a promotion to help spread the word about the podcast. And that is something that people have asked about since then, if I'm still doing that, or if I have any more t-shirts, that kind of stuff. Well, what I'm going to do is any requests that I receive for anything like that, any kind of giveaway item, merchandise, stickers, t-shirts, hats, who knows what it would end up being. But if I get enough people that want that, then I will put all of you together and I will do a drawing and I will give away some stuff. So again, that might be a mug, that might be a t-shirt, that might be a hat, that might be whatever. You can tell me what your preference is and I might meet it. I might not. But if you are interested in something like that, something that has the podcast logo on it, maybe a snarky phrase or who knows what I will put on there. But if you're interested, then send me an email. Again, send me a message. Let me know that you are interested. I'll put your name on a list and who knows, you might get some free stuff. So 
most people like free stuff. I know some of you are listening to this episode very far in the future. I sometimes listen to podcasts that are five years old and haven't put out a new episode in five years, and that does happen. Well, if you are listening to this far in the future, you may still send in a request for this type of stuff. If I'm still in existence and I still want to do that, I still might give you things. So feel free. It's not that you have to be keeping up with this week by week. If you're a few months late, if you're a few years late, feel free to still send me an email. That is okay. I encourage you to do so. The worst you can get is a, no, I'm not doing that anymore. And hopefully you would be able to handle that very minor rejection. So that is the other announcement I have. I will now encourage you to stay tuned for our next episode. And this one will be on anarcho-capitalism. So we've covered how government as a system at a structural level is immoral. It's impractical. It's inefficient. It's all these things. It's not good, at least uh, the way that I have described it and argued. And I have presented an alternative to that, an option for making government actually good, one that is actually voluntary and moral and all these things. And that's what I provided today. Well, I also want to provide an alternative to government as a whole. So you could have a stateless society where government doesn't exist. And that will be next episode. That is anarcho-capitalism. Anarcho as in anarchy, where there is no leader, there's no government, and capitalism as the market structure for how that society is structured. And that is the system that governs an anarcho-capitalist society. So I will cover that, what that theory is, what that looks like, how that plays out, and I will give, at least in my opinion, a very solid argument for how that is possible and how that would and could play out. So that'll be next time. That does it for today. I'm out. Peace. Thank you for listening. Goodbye.